0: and that's taken us on a journey from Founder Magazine to this podcast and beyond. And today marks the next step in that journey, Founder Plus. I'm proud to introduce you to Founder Plus, which is an all-access pass to each of our online courses and programs and their proven frameworks for success. It puts every strategy we've compiled from world-class instructors at your fingertips while connecting you to a global network of like-minded entrepreneurs. Founder Plus will take your business to the next level for today and tomorrow. So whether you've just joined our family or You've watched us grow from humble beginnings. We're really thrilled to have you join us in this exciting new phase of making the founder brand and this company the world's best entrepreneurial community to launch and grow your business. So finally, before we get into today's episode, I'm inviting you to come back, check out Founder Plus and go to founder.com forward slash membership. I'm really excited, guys. This is an incredible new evolution of entrepreneurial education. And our mission is really to get as many of these founders that we interviewed to teach and also give back on the Founder Plus platform and really go more in depth with the knowledge and the experiences and the lessons learned that they're sharing all in Founder Plus. So guys, please go check it out if you're enjoying these interviews. That's it from me. I hope you enjoy this episode. Now let's jump in. This is episode number 433 with Magnus Grimland of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now, 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 the Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. Hey, Founder Fam, welcome back to another episode. Today's guest, Magnus Glimeland, is the Chief Executive Officer and founder of Antler, a global early stage VC enabling and investing in the world's most exceptional people. Antler has invested in and helped over 250-plus portfolio companies worldwide and established the world's largest early-stage investment platform with an unparalleled global network of entrepreneurial leaders and advisors. He also previously co-founded a company called Zalora, which is Asia's largest fashion e-commerce company, and today we're going to really dig deep and understand Magnus's entire journey and the lessons learned along the way what he looks for in successful founders. He's met a lot and invested in a lot. And what are those key traits? Please welcome to the podcast, Magnus Grimland. Hey, Founder Fam. Before we jump into today's conversation, I'd love to take a minute to tell you about this episode's sponsor, Sales Master AI. When iOS 14 hit, a lot of us didn't really know how to respond. And at Founder, Part of our response has been turning to trusted experts like SMAI to lead the way forward. SMAI has really helped us drive the performance of our cost per acquisition to really acquire customers on Facebook. So do you want your ads to work better? Then if so, salesmaster.ai can help your business engage more buyers automatically using AI that places your ads in real time in front of audiences most likely to convert. So you can really increase the performance post iOS 15 and take the guesswork out of growth. Head to the link in our show notes to learn more now. Okay, now on to today's episode. The first question I ask everyone that comes on is, how did you get your job, aka, how did you find yourself doing the work you're doing today?
1: You want the long story or the short story?
0: Let's go with the short one.
1: <laughs> well, um, I think since since uh, since I was about, when I was, when I was about 10 years old, um, my great grandmother died. And I remember thinking a lot about, you know, what do you want to, you know what, what what does life really mean and um my father at the time you know he's he was more of a communist so he he definitely thought you live your life and whatever you do during your life that's it and then my mother is more spiritual and she was there there's 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 a larger meaning to life but anyways i started thinking a lot about it and um and thought that um came to this conclusion quite early in life that um uh, at least what you can do is uh, uh, try to try to make a bit of a difference while you're, while, while you're in the world. And, um, and then fast forward a few years later, I was in college at Harvard and, um, basically it was 2003, 2007. So it was that kind of second wave of tech growth, um, after the dot com boom and bust. And you saw this amazing companies being built across the U S Having such a tremendous influence all across the globe. Uh, at which point I decided that utilizing technology uh, to help solve important problems was uh, what I wanted to spend my time doing. Uh, and uh, then there was an you know intermittent period in the middle where I worked in McKinsey with tech companies all across the globe and learned a lot, which is what brought me to Asia. Um, and then I saw this pretty large opportunity in a um, complete kind of white space in, in Southeast Asia and e-commerce, uh, which brought me to, to be one of the co-founders of Solora, which is the biggest fashion e-commerce company here, similar to the iconic in, in Australia. And then, um, you know, when you build one great tech company and you see that in Australia, you see it everywhere, like out of great tech companies come um, the next generation great founders. And that became the genesis of Antler is... You know, let's let's work with these incredible people all across the globe and uh, be the best possible partner to them uh you know two to three months before they incorporate their business and just after right which has become our core so uh, you know that's that that's that's the short story which you know it's about 30 30 years long but uh, that's how I ended up doing antler
0: yeah really cool and I, I want to dive in more throughout your careers, Allura, Red Antler, all of that. So um, I want to go back to Harvard days, though. Like, you were in the midst of the Facebook phenomenon. Um, what was that atmosphere like? I think the atmosphere was more
1: such that I think in the late 90s, you saw, you know, the, the tremendous potential, you know, the internet could have. But it wasn't really there where you had kind of real utilitarian use cases, right? There were, there was a few, but not many. It was mostly kind of information um discovery. And then, uh, you know, it was really when I started in 2003 that, you know, the, the internet just started becoming so powerful that the coding languages, the infrastructure, uh, the distribution engines with you know the smartphone starting and 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 so on that that you had this kind of tremendous white space all across the globe um, to build new things and distributed to billions of people and not millions of people at quite low cost right and and yes um, you know Facebook was obviously the biggest one. Who did that, but like a lot of us were kind of playing around with different types of use cases like this, right? Like, so, so I was involved in this project. We did with a few friends called Crimson Reading, which, um, you know, we, we realized like this, this very small problem that when you start university, you have to buy like 30 books, uh, every year from different courses and you don't really know the curriculum and you don't know where to find the cheapest book up front. So when you get it, everyone is kind of hustling and bustling to get used books or uh, get access to books uh, somewhere for these programs. And you have to kind of search every single one. So we just looked at that kind of simple problem and said, Hey, you know, why don't we just look at the index of the courses and what books is needed. Um, uh, And we launched this engine, which would then search and crawl the entire internet for uh, the best possible prices for the 30 books in one basket. And then you know, you could shorten something that would take students seven days uh, to five minutes. Uh, and, you know, that was a tiny problem to solve. But, you know, it saved a lot of people a lot of time and it earned us a little bit of money. To then Facebook has become the world's largest platform and people working on everything in between. Um, and it was, I think, this genesis where um, a lot a lot of exceptional people chose the that. You know, Wall Street and consulting, or taking a job in a big corporate—it's not the most wonderful thing in the world. The most wonderful thing in the world is finding a problem to solve and uh, and uh, spend your time and life doing that, right? Mm. Uh, and obviously, there was a ton of failures as well, <laughs> but uh, but you know, out of it came arguably great things like like the Facebook platform.
0: Mm. And in those early days, it sounds like there was quite a few projects. What did you learn in those early days that helped like inform the rest of your journey?
1: I think the most important thing um, for many people who are considering building a business is um that kind of first experience of it being possible, right? Like I think every founder has that moment where um, you know, even if even if the startup didn't necessarily succeed in the end, that feeling that hey, you know, here I have a product that people actually want to use, and they want to pay to use it. And you know, when you launch a startup in the beginning, most of those people are kind of your your, your friends or colleagues or whatever they are. And then and then suddenly you get that first customer which you never heard about before, right? Mm-hmm. And then you realize. That's a magical moment. Uh, I think for anyone, whether you build kind of Airbnb, Facebook, an e-commerce company or um, a new type of cancer drug or whatever it is, like that moment where someone um, that you never heard about in your entire life buys your products because they think it's 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 making their life better in 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 some way, it's very, 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 very magical. And I think the people who experienced that one time. Um, will very often try again and again and again to scale that if they don't manage to do it the first time.
0: Yeah, that is very special. I'm thinking back to early days founder. Um, so I'm curious, you, got, you you then moved on to Rocket Internet. Uh, when you look back, what was your biggest learning from your Rocket days?
1: Well, so um, I didn't spend too much time working with Rocket. Um, very rapidly, we started building Solora. And, um, you know, if you build, a, like building an e-commerce company um, it's quite different depending on kind of what time you're building it at and where you're building it, right? So, you know, if you want to set up an e-commerce company now in, let's say, Europe, um, you can plug into website builders, APIs for logistic networks, uh, payment infrastructure... Like literally everything you need and you can focus on you can focus very much on your your positioning uh and your products right now when we were building solora we really had to build almost all of that from scratch so you know we had to build server parks across southeast asia we had to build out warehouse logistics networks because in the fashion industry uh they weren't really Capabilities within the fashion suppliers uh, to tap into a marketplace structure. Um, we had to build out roads. Uh, we had to build out logistics networks. We had to build out a payment system. Like when we went to Indonesia at the time, um, there was something like three percent bank card and credit card penetration, which is the most used way to to pay for stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, still today at e-commerce sites and so the way our customers would buy the products in the early days was they would go on the site and they would okay i'm gonna get this dress and i'm gonna get those shoes and then they would put them in a basket uh, click checkout they'd get a code they had to take that code and go to the bank like whatever the local bank was which for somebody who lived a little bit on the outskirts of a city or in the rural, it might take an hour or two to get to the bank. <laughs> then you had to pay in cash. Then you had to get uh, another code, go back to your computer and upload uh, that code. And then your checkup process would be done, right? Like wow. for anyone who's done anything in terms of sales, uh, the more assistance and barriers you create in the checkout process, the more cancellations you're going to get. But like, what was the alternative, right? um, There there just weren't many good alternatives to serve, you know, a big part of the Indonesia customer base. And by the way, it was the same in a lot of Southeast Asian countries at the time. So we decided to roll out, uh, together with another e-commerce company, what was really the first, you know, pan southeast Asian cash and delivery system, Mm -hmm. which sounds easy, right? In the way that, okay, you send someone something and then they'll pay the delivery man and then you, you get the money back. It sounds simple in principle, but then when you send a package from a warehouse in Jakarta to um, a distribution center, to an airport, which flies it somewhere, to a truck that drives it to a port, but and then onto a boat and then onto another truck and then onto a, a motorcyclist that hands it to a person in some island somewhere in Indonesia, and that person pays ten dollars <laughs> in cash, and then that money needs to find its way back to our warehouse in Indonesia. You can imagine how kind of complex such a system is to build, right? So, you know, when we first launched the system, we had something like a hundred, I think it was 108 working days of capital out in the in the ecosystem somewhere right so this was orders we had delivered had been paid for and the cash was somewhere across Southeast asia making its way back to to our warehouses right and you can imagine that's that's pretty stressful uh, when you're building a very fast growing business and your orders keep sticking up every day and you just see that you know more and more your cash flow is kind of stuck out there somewhere so then the next you know, task became like, how can we reduce that? Right. Like now it's reduced about four or five days. Um, but you know, there's these types of challenges that like one of the things we like to talk a lot about to our founders is yes, you can be the best team working on the best possible business model, but you're going to run into these types of issues that I'm just addressing at some point of time, whatever it might be. It might not be having 108 days, 108 days worth of, uh, of, of cash across <laughs> Southeast Asia, that, but you're gonna run into these issues that, that might bankrupt you, that might you know mean that you can't move forward. And the way you work to resolve these types of things is, is very often what determines the success from not a success. It's very often the grittiest teams that work the hardest on finding ways around very hard problems, that then enables them to create a real competitive advantage that, that will end up winning and sometimes not the smartest teams with the best ideas just the ones who like stick at it and get it done and then obviously when this thing worked for us nobody else had the payment system like this like on all other sides people would still go to the bank and make that payment but suddenly with us they could just wait for the package and pay cash which which created a tremendous competitive advantage and I think led to Solora now still being, you know, this is now, it's 10 years in now, it's still the biggest, we, we sold the business back in 2015, but it's still the biggest fashion e-commerce company in the region. They've faced a lot of competition. And I think they're actually the first profitable e-commerce company in the region.
0: Mm, interesting. So talk to me around kind of talent and capability Um, because, yeah, like they're, they're, it's not like, the valley it's not like new york or america like how did you find incredible people were you looking for for more kind of the capability skill and talent or you were looking for cultural behaviors that you thought were important um yeah building out zolora
1: yeah so at the time right you couldn't kids- since there weren't that many tech businesses around, you, it was kind of hard to hire people with experience, right? So, like, if you mm-hmm. wanted to hire someone in performance marketing, you couldn't just go to another growth tech company and hire like a great performance marketer. Yeah, um, you needed to find intrinsically strong people with a, you know, with with clear spikes, a ton of drive and grit. Who were excited to become the best performance marketer in the region. Mm-hmm. And then you needed to kind of train them. Right. And, and within, you know, our product organization and coding organization within performance, marketing, logistic, whatever it was, we ended up looking for just intrinsically incredibly strong individuals that were excited and passionate about that functional area. And then we, Brought in a few people who had experience from this, from other places in the world, um, who would kind of train the next generation. I think great, great tech leaders in the region, and 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 that really worked, right? Like we literally hired people anywhere, right? Like because we were we were just in such a need of, of of people. So I remember hiring people in like bookstores and on the bus and. Uh, at the airport and, you know, over dinner or at the wedding. And, you know, he just tried to find, like, intrinsically strong people anywhere and, like, funnel them into this kind of training organization. And out of that came, you know, some really great people, right? So, so Laura became this kind of breeding ground for great entrepreneurs. So, you know, Gojek, you just IPO'd through to in Indonesia, $25 billion valuation. Uh, Nadim and Kevin, who built that, used to be part of Solora um, and uh, Shopee, which is now the biggest e-commerce platform here, part of C Group. Chris Feng, who built that, was part of Solora. Stashaway, Away, Shopback, Lockout, uh, tons of other great companies. And I think the reason for that is we, we managed to get you know, intrinsically great people on board who became the leaders within their space um, in the country or the region. And they saw what was possible and used that to build the next great thing, right?
0: Yeah. I'm curious, I'd love to explore that a little more, like, because a lot of people watching, they might not be in the best position to to get, you know, the most experienced talent with next level capability or have seen certain things. What advice would you give to founders when they're in the early stages, um, perhaps even don't have Um, the, even the experience to know what to look for, right? Of what good looks like, like what, what experience, like, yeah. What, what advice would you give?
1: I think it's, it's very much three things that matters. Whether you're looking for a great founder to back or you're looking for a great team member. Um, You want to bring in people who are intrinsically great at something. Um, that have a clear spike. I think the best team members and the best founders are not averagely great at everything, but they're incredibly great at something and then not so good on a lot of other things. And they are—they realize what their strength is and they utilize that strength to be a real asset. Um, and that could be, you know, it could be some experience, right? That you're incredibly great at specific coding language and you like to spend your entire weekend kind of, creating new applications in that, or it could be more generic. Like you probably have friends who would walk into an elevator with 12 strangers. And when the elevator hits the bottom floor, they're kind of friends with everyone and they're having drinks on Friday and they're like naturally this kind of people's person or like salesperson or whatever you want to call it. So strength, like clear spike. Second is look for um, drive, like that, that inner engine which is, I think, a combination of two things. One is kind of passion and ambition. So how excited is this individual to really like make a difference, right, and, uh and be great at something. Um, and it's fine not to be right, like, there are a lot of people who don't necessarily have that, that drive, but having team members with that drive, it just may, it's, makes such a difference from from having people who are just showing up to work to to cash a paycheck, right? Um, so, so it's kind of passion and ambition combined with the ability to execute. Like that's the other thing. Like there, there is a lot of really passionate people out there. who have no ability at all to execute on their passion, and we all, have, you know, we all have friends like that, right? Who are, <laughs> you know, so you need. So, so that's a drive. Like you know, passion, and ambition combined with the ability to execute. And then the third aspect that we really look at, whether you're a founder or a team member, is the thing I talked about earlier, which is grit, right? Like, is this a person who are committed to complete whatever they set out to do? And you you know that as well. Like you, we all have friends who say they're going to do something, they start doing it, and then like three weeks later, they, okay, I want to do this thing instead, <laughs> whether it's like a hobby or a project or whatever it is. Like, great employees and great, Founders, when they decide to do something, they don't give up on the way. How do you read that? Well, so you can look at, it at people's backgrounds. So a lot of people will just jump from one thing to another. Um, you can also dig deep into like challenging situations people have been into, and you know what they ended up doing. Like so, for example, when we were building Solora, when we realized that it was hard for our customers to pay for anything online. Mm-hmm. We could have then become a small business or we could solve that problem and, and build a big business. And then deep diving with me around like how we worked on that and resolved that topic is a great way to kind of figure out whether I have the necessary grit or not, right? So, So it's like sp- sp- spike driving grit.
0: Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode and learning a tonne. As you know, in this series, we interview some of the greatest founders of our generation to find out how they did it. However, if you're thinking of starting your own business, and you want to hear from some incredible stories from everyday people like you or I, who are actually in the trenches, only been building their business for maybe one year or two years, like that are building right now, and they're really in the early stages, but they're getting success, you should come and check out our new podcast, From Zero to Founder. You talked about execution. That's a really interesting one to me, because I know exactly what you're talking about. Like we all have friends that kind of they have that drive, they, they have that grit, but they don't have the ability to influence outcomes and really truly execute, and especially moving comfortably amongst the chaos. How do you identify that in the early days when you're just meeting somebody or recruiting?
1: The best, the best way to do it is if you have the a real opportunity to spend real time with the individual, right? Like so, I mean, obviously, it's, you know, in the very early days of building a business. So, for example, when we were building Antler, um, we had about a four months period where I'd rented a really tiny, scrappy office space above a pub in singapore called the black swan <laughs> and and i just i just invited like when i found the great people or i just invited them all to come and sit with us and start working on this idea together um and um so we would spend you know literally seven days a week in this like tiny place now and then go down for a beer um this problem solving the idea around Antler and we'd call up like every single VC in the world with, uh, you know, look at what everyone else has done. We'd look at, you know, the process of what we're doing and figure out like who are the best in the world at like scouting people who are the best in the world at uh, creating early stage momentum, who's the best in the world at looking at product market fit. And then we'd find someone who knew them and call them up and ask, okay, you know, how would you go about doing this? So we, we literally stress tested everything. Um, and then we went on a bit of a roadshow. And then I got to work with these eight, nine people who, you know, none of us had really committed to each other. But we could observe each other and see who really got stuff done. And uh, so that, that's a great way. And like in the, in the Antler kind of cohorts, like we bring in 80 to 90 founders together at the same time. You actually get to spend those two to three months together before. Deciding on who you want to bring on as your first employees and co-founders, and when you're a little bit later stage in the startup journey, let's say you're like four or five months in, you can still do that because you can tell people are very excited about your idea and want to come on. That hey, you know, yeah, come in and do some work with us, and then you can choose whether you want to bring them on board or not. Um, so that's one great way. Now I would say when you're a much bigger company, let's say you're trying to hire a CMO. You can't pick like an incredible marketing person and say, hey, why don't you come and work with us for two months? <laughs> and then we'll figure out whether it works or not, right? You actually need to make the decision up front. I think what is critical there on the execution aspect is to go deeper and deeper and deeper into a specific area where the person you're talking to believe that they had that effect, right? So let's say I was, you know, they were responsible for um, launching the, you know, creating a much better SEO strategy for the company they were just in. And then you say, okay, well, tell us tell us more about that. And then, you know, and then how did you set up the, the team to execute on that umbrella? And then you could just go, and why, and how, and by the you go deeper and deeper and deeper. And after a while, you realize whether this person has actually made that happen, or we're just part of a team that made that happen. Right? <laughs> and, you know, if that person was actually the person who made it happen, then great. You know that's a great signal. If it was just part of a team that made it happen, that that's a warning sign, right? If the thing you asked them about, where they had the most, you know, impact on execution, was actually not them.
0: <laughs> yeah. So Zalora was eventually acquired uh, by Global Fashion Group. Were you still active at that point in the business by the time it was acquired?
1: Yeah. So uh, I was leading all of uh, our kind of country organizations, and then I was running. Um, we'd roll out our marketplace. So when we got acquired, um, I was tapped to be the chief operating officer of the new group, which also acquired um, Iconic in Australia and Jibong in India and Lamora in Eastern Europe and uh, uh, Dafiti and and a bunch of other kind of fashion e-commerce assets.
0: Awesome. And uh, when you look back, what were your biggest learnings from Zalora that really helped um, inform your journey? One thing...
1: That I like telling founders really early on from my own experience is like, I mean, get ready to live in a tent, and you know, you, you kind of like when you go from let's say, if you're just coming from college and you're starting a business, it's kind of easier because when you're in college, you kind of, unless you have like rich parents, you're you're still kind of living on scraps very often, right? Like, so it's mm-hmm. it's kind of a gritty experience going to another gritty experience. But a lot of founders will go from let's say like yeah they've been they've been part of building up Spotify and you know they're now like a quite senior leader or engineer in Spotify, and they have good salary, they get free sushi on Fridays, and you know perhaps there's like yoga on Monday morning and you know they fly business class if they fly it nationally and so on, right, and then you have to go to literally kind of living in a tent with very little income and you know that your baby can kind of explode at any point in time. Like the one thing that you care about the most, like it's so precarious in that early moment. So I think that being prepared for that and knowing that every single founder out there who are starting a business is going through the same process is incredibly important. And, and then front-loading, um, that experience. So I think that a lot of, you know, a a lot of people uh, are not, you know, working at things in the wrong way. So when you start, when you start a business, the time that you have available to yourself in the early days, is just so much more important than the time you have available to yourself later. So in the early days, the only ones who are moving the business forward is you, Um, because it's only you, perhaps one or other. one or two two other co-founders. But if you guys are not working uh, and moving the business forward, nothing is happening. Now, fast forward two years, if you've been successful in executing on that, you've actually hired some great people. And if you hired great people, your time actually becomes less relevant. So like a combination of kind of knowing how tough it would be with... um, you know, real front loading to create that early momentum. Because once you create momentum, momentum creates momentum. So like once you start getting a few customers, once you raise the first bit of money, once you have the product out there, once you get a bit of press, then it gets much easier to do everything. And then you started creating this flywheel. But the only one who can really get that off the ground is um, is is you as a founder. So therefore, like, you know, get ready to, I, I i tell most people that are getting started like call all your friends and family and tell them hey i'm sorry i don't have you know much time to spend with you over the next couple of years because i'm going to be busy building my business if you want to spend time with me come help me accomplish that <laughs> and then be singularly kind of focused on that and then uh um you know obviously if you have children you should spend some time with them but apart from that like The first couple of years of the business is just so incredibly important. If you don't get momentum, then it's very, very, very hard. It's still possible. Like Airbnb, I think, was stuck in this no man's land for two and a half years. But in most instances, like creating that early momentum will just make everything much easier.
0: Mm. And so me, I'd love to talk about the Antler journey. Um, So you talked about how it started. What kind of, would you say, separates you guys from any other VC or incubator?
1: separates separates us from most vcs is um we focus on investing in founders and not companies so we look to find incredible people who are just getting started on their journey and you know very often we start working with them before they incorporated their business and um, be the first money in so we're like day minus one investors we'll make the investment decision before the company is incorporated based on the strength of the team and the idea they're working on um and our core value proposition and the number one strength that we are working on is being a great partner to the founders of just getting started like so we don't want to be a number top on a founder's list when they're raising their series a but we want to be on the top of a founder's list when they are just getting started and for any founder out there who are looking for the first money into their business we we believe that we've we're now in a position where we we'll be the best partner to you right so I think that's number one the difference between VCs and us. The second thing is the difference between kind of incubators. what well, it depends, like, a lot of incubators are focused on specific ideas, and then they find founders around those IDs. Um, some are more kind of venture builders, which take a lot of, uh, uh, you know, equity in the business, and, um, you know, the founders have less, some are similar to us, but, you know, don't have that global network. Like we now operate in uh, 23 markets across the globe. We have a network of 700 advisors. We have relationships with all the top VCs out there. We, uh, we have playbooks and perks from all, all the major, uh, you know, providers of services as you need as a startup. So so we can really help. And, and I think that's one of the things we've done, for example, in Australia very successfully is we, we kind of help build regional or global businesses so what I like to tell founders is like, don't come to us if you wanna build a new kebab shop, but if you wanna build a new type of plant-based kebab meat, which is in every single kebab in, in the world, then, then we're a good investor because we can help you with that internationalization, get international capital on board and so on. Um, so, you know, we just wanna find great people, put the first money into their business. We we, we Typically in that first round, you know, we, we put in you know a few hundred K and we don't take more than 10% equity. So 90% of the business still owned by the founder. So it's, it's a strong, you know, we're, we're a very strong value proposition for founders that's are just getting started. And I think any single founder who are at that stage right now, where they're either kind of leaving their business or they've left their business or they just get it started and they're looking for that first capital or a partner to kind of make that journey, or they're looking for co-founders, like. I I believe we're now in a place where uh, we're we're definitely amongst the the, the top choices.
0: Mm, Awesome. Um, Yeah, so like, you know, I'm I'm definitely very familiar with Antler. You guys have a great presence. Um, So I'd love to delve a bit deeper in kind of the qualities you look for in the founders that you back.
1: Yeah, so it goes back to actually what I was talking about earlier. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a clear spike, you know, something that you're incredibly great at and better than most other people drive combination of passion ambition and and ability to execute and third is uh, grit. now i spoke about those earlier so i'm not going to repeat definition but the what is interesting with all of them is that you're not born with any of that right yes you, you you might be born with like better genetics or whatever but like You build a spike throughout your life, you build drive throughout your life, you build grit throughout your life, you can build mental resilience, you can build a ability to execute, you can build passion and ambition, you can build a great strength. So what, you know, by looking at that as kind of core criteria um, and giving access to the same type of networks, like when I started, for example, Solora or Antler, like I had, you know, I'm going to be humble and say that I had the great luxury of having access to great people through my McKinsey network, through the Harvard network, through, um, you know, other things that I've been part of. A lot of founders don't have that. And we can offer that same kind of access to great networks as you're just getting started. So by us looking at things that you can actually build combined with providing that same starting point for everyone, we ended up seeing like a bit of a democratization of the whole kind of entrepreneurial journey in the way that the diversity of the founders that we have in our our course is incredible it's like a lot of them has been part of building other great tech companies but you know there's a lot of people who are part of building a, a Flipkart who you know grew up in you know not great areas in india Who so got a job there early and then ended up doing really well so we have these types of founders with like less education but a lot of entrepreneurial experience and then we have People like me who happen to go to kind of great universities in the U.S. and and had the kind of more of a uh, traditional backgrounds. We have all types of backgrounds, a lot of diversity. Thirty five percent of our founders, for example, um, uh, are are female, um, which compares to like low single digits globally. Um, people from several nations. Um, so if you have. A spike a ton of drive and grit we'd love to help you build a great business because we do believe that's the most important and not necessarily kind of where you grew up and which school you went to
0: look uh, i could talk to you all day man i'm conscious of time couple last questions and we'll work towards wrapping up majority of people that apply for the program they don't get in what are some red flags that you look for what separates them
1: I mean, we'd obviously love to support more founders, but um, we we get now more than 50,000 applicants per year and, um, you know, we, we, we don't have the ability to kind of back more than we're currently doing. So um, we currently back about kind of 1% of the, of the founders that we see, unfortunately. Um, but so there's definitely a lot of incredible people that have applied that we should have backed, but we, um, we just you know, we, we need to set the line somewhere, but the ones who come in have kind of clearly demonstrated those three aspects that I just talked about, um, which is, you know, a real spike tunnel drive and and grit. And, and sometimes, you know, it might just not have come through and they will end up building great businesses without our support. Other times people will uh, apply the next time around and then we don't make the mistake and, and, and get them on board and support them. So, um, you know, I think for anyone who's kind of gone through that experience, just kind of apply again and and reach out and get feedback. And we also have the Antler Academy currently, which we launched, which is in a beta version in Australia. We're rolling it out globally now where you can go and do a six-week entrepreneurial course where we go through a lot of the stuff that we do, um, you know, in our offices. Uh, so, yeah, I really encourage everyone to do that.
0: Awesome. Well, look, uh, we're going to move to the hot seat now. Um, this is kind of rapid-fire questions and answers. Uh, The first one I have is if you could go back to your first day in business and give yourself one piece of advice, what would it be and why? Front
1: load, like get stuff done now, which creates momentum in the future. Net-net, you'll end up accomplishing more uh, and spending less time achieving it.
0: If you could travel back in time and invest in only one startup in history, what would it be and why? Probably
1: SpaceX in their first round.
0: What's something you've learned today?
1: When you try to achieve something, just building up this mental resilience in your mind that failure is not an option. Failure is still okay and then you learn from it. But if you come into any type of situation thinking that failure is okay, then you tend to fail. So go in there and think that no matter what, I'm gonna achieve this.
0: Last question if you could have dinner with any entrepreneur, dead or alive, who would it be and why?
1: I'd probably choose um, Steve Jobs. The impact he's had on the world is quite profound. And not only within kind of the consumer space, but for businesses and you know even kind of deep tech in the future of healthcare and a lot of kind of very important areas.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, Magnus. This was awesome. I had a ton of fun and uh, yeah, I could talk to you all day, man. You're, You're a wealth of experience. This will really help a lot of people in our community.
1: Yeah, no, thanks, Nathan. And yeah, thanks for taking the time.
0: Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content, either start or grow their business.